I'm extra excited for today's show. We have our first guest, Jessica, from youdidwhatwithyourwiener.com, and I can't wait for you to hear our conversation on how you don't need a big dog to have great adventures. Small dogs make great hiking, camping, and canicross partners, just to name a few. Jessica has been camping and hiking with her dachshunds for over 15 years. Through her award-winning blog, You Did What With Your Wiener, she inspires small dog owners around the world to put more adventure in their lives and improve their health. In 2012, she left the corporate world to blog full-time and earned a Master of Communication in Digital Media. She now coaches other bloggers through her company, Niche Blog Biz. Be sure to join our Facebook community at bit.ly.com forward slash learncanacross so you'll be the first to know about future amazing guests. I won't make you wait any longer. Let's dive in. Hey, trail runners. Welcome back to the Canacross Made Simple podcast, where we break down the basics of getting started in Canacross. If you're a beginner interested in learning more about the sport of canicross and having it explained as simple as possible, then you've come to the right place. Hey, I'm Shannon Wasak, and today we're answering more great listener questions. I hope you're as excited as I am. Enjoy. We're here today with Jessica from youdidwhatwithyourwiener.com. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thanks again for being on. Please tell us a little about yourself, your pups, and was it one particular instance that inspired you to start blogging about your adventures or the general attitudes that you experienced towards small dogs on trails? Yeah, so my name is Jessica, and I have two miniature dachshunds. I inherited one. I wanted a big dog to hike and camp with me, and I inherited one about 15 years ago. Um, and... I don't know. I didn't know that small dogs weren't supposed, quote unquote, supposed to hike and camp and be active. I didn't see anyone else. Like I didn't know any small dogs. And so off we went on our adventures and he loved it and there was never any problems. And, and I would tell people um, like our friends about our trips and taking the dog. And they'd always be really surprised. Like you did what with your dog? You took him where? You did what hike? And, um, I didn't think a whole lot of it, I guess, but I needed to learn how to use WordPress at one time. And, and I adopted my second dachshund Gretel, whom I still have. My first one is passed. And we took her on a four mile hike the day after we adopted her. She was already almost one. Um, and we weren't sure she was going to like it. We were kind of nervous. I didn't know if my first dachshund was a fluke or something. And she loved it. And that day on the trail, I just decided I was going to start a blog so I could learn how to use WordPress. And it was going to be about hiking and camping with my dachshunds. And I just, the name you did what with your wiener just popped in my head in that instant because it made sense because people were always surprised that I was taking them out. That's amazing. And now, now look where, what it's grown into. Yeah. (laughs) Who knew? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Right. So you had mentioned that you inherited your first dachshund. His name was Chester mm-hmm. um, from a former roommate. Yeah. And now you hike with Gretel mm-hmm. and Summit. So what inspired, Summit, yes. what inspired you to add another dachshund to your family versus a different breed? And do you have any plans of adding to your pack in the near future? Well, I think that it's the evil you know. No, right, I don't know. It's, that's half, half joking. I mean, dachshunds are not for everybody. They're not easy dogs. They're killer. You know, they get a, some bad reputations for being stubborn and such, although you just have to learn how to communicate with them and they would rather, they're bred to think on their own. So they're a challenge. They don't right. immediately always want to do what you want them to do. <laughs> but um, I don't know, you know, it's like a lot of people with purebreds, but especially dachshund people, you, once you have a dachshund, you never go back. Like, I mean, right. I know people that have different breeds and stuff, yeah. but people like me who, 
live and breathe dachshund like that's it that's my thing that's I love the breed I love a challenge they're super smart they're small and convenient but also athletic and can keep up with me with anything that I do um so it was kind of a no-brainer but but I just I didn't want to have one and Gretel was used to having a second dog and she was fine I think she would have been okay as an only dog um but we just wanted two. So you're sticking with two for a while? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so Chester was eight when I got Gretel, when I adopted her. And then um, when Chester passed, Gretel was almost nine when I got Summit. So there's been a big age gap between, and Chester was my first dog I'd owned as an adult. So I've only had experience with dogs with huge age gaps. And I'd like to see what it's like to have two that are a little closer in age but Gretel's still only 10 she's going to be around for a while um so at some point in order to close that age gap I'm going to need to have three dogs three dogs right, right. <laughs> so I have been I have been looking but probably not till next year or the year after that I have a Jack Russell and then we adopted two blue healer mixes I guess about a year and a half ago so now we have three so it's definitely it's a lot of work <laughs> for sure <laughs> it's but a it's lot fun. of work I, I, <laughs> Yeah, I heard it's a it's a lot more work going from two to three than yeah. from even one to two, but especially right. three to four or something. Yeah. And is- well, and I do most of my hiking and camping alone. Oh yeah, and handling three dogs alone, three right. dachshunds right. alone is going to be a real challenge. So now that you've been doing this for a while, do you still face negativity regarding small dogs as adventure dogs? And if so, what's your response? I think it's more. Um, stereotypes and misinformation right. than negativity but with the dachshund breed specifically they're known for having spinal issues uh-huh. and again it's it comes across as negative but it stems more from just not knowing um, just not knowing but i do on occasion when gretel so gretel has ivdd the disease right. that causes back injuries and dachshunds and she did suffer a back injury about four years ago. She didn't need surgery, but with great rest and rehab. And a lady that I knew who -hmm. had known us for years messaged me and basically said it was my fault for taking her hiking and that I shouldn't hike with her anymore. And we were working closely with the rehab vet because my first my first thing was to be just crushed and devastated and see our whole life together flash before my eyes. Right. But my second response was to go right next door to the rehab vet and make an appointment right. and I asked her flat out do you think she'll ever be able to hike again and she said yes that you know I mean nothing's guaranteed but I think there's a very good chance and right. you know so we did a lot of rehab and everything and and so yeah it really just but but docs and back problems are primarily caused by a genetic disease and you don't mm-hmm. know if they have it until they actually suffer an injury. So I get some negativity now and then more of it's like, I don't want to say passive aggressive because it's not intentional, but people on the trails like every day, like every time we hike, oh, look at those little legs go. They must get really tired. You have to carry them up here, stuff like that. And I try and take it as a, like a teaching moment for people, but it gets, it gets old and it gets frustrating because people are saying it from a place where they don't think small dogs are, are capable of being active. So I love that you're breaking the stereotype that small dogs shouldn't just be lap dogs. Small dogs can not only make great adventure dogs, but it's the dog owner's obligation, regardless of the size, to be responsible for their dog getting adequate physical and mental exercise to maintain their health. If not, behavior and mental pro- behavior and health problems can result. 
And often this is why we see a lot of dogs ending up in shelters. Would you agree? Yes, definitely. And to take it a step further is that people need to educate themselves on the breed of dog that they do have. It can be easy to forget that our dogs are meant to be more than just pets, that they were used for work, that they enjoyed having a job, and they still have those tendencies. How has researching the dachshund breed background and their needs benefited your relationship with your dog? Uh, Well, um, obviously a lot how is is a little harder to quantify i mean just when you know better you do better and Mm -hmm. like i said in the beginning in that case it was a little opposite i guess i didn't know quote unquote know better that people didn't think small dogs could be active so we just did it but even from the beginning when i didn't really know about owning a dog Mm -hmm. um, i made some mistakes but for the most part i let him dictate how much he was willing and able to do Like I didn't push him. I just observed what he could do, assuming that he could probably do all of these things. But even I was a little bit surprised. But then I really started, you know, researching after I started, started the blog and everything. And, you know, researched more about what the breed was bred for. And I often have to remind people that dachshunds were bred for hunting in the woods, following a person for long distances over logs, under bushes and stuff to hunt. And, and yes, you know, most people don't use theirs for that anymore. And, and kind of, I think, especially not expert on breeding, but in the, in the U S a lot of dogs are more bred for looks than purpose nowadays, um, for the average pet, you know, and, and so that gets lost a little bit, but instinct is instinct. Right. And what they're, it's still what they're bred for. And it's still, you see today, characteristics that they have that are because of what they were bred for so really learning about the background learning about all the health issues just learning about dogs in general how to make them happy and healthy and keep them mentally stimulated has really I mean Chester lived a good life but he taught me a lot of things and Gretel and now Summit greatly benefit from everything I learn over the years their life improves each time I learn something new and you experienced the hunting background on your one of your or your recent camping trip, right? With Gretel, I believe it was. And she was a summit. Yes. Summit. Okay. So that was kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, both of them. Yeah. No, both of them, you know, they're dachshunds. Right. And, and that's something people need to understand about right. the breed. I see a lot of questions. Oh, my dachshund won't quit chasing my toddler when they're running around or how do I get my dachshund to get along with my cat or things like that. It's possible, but it takes understanding what the, what they were bred for and their instincts and and working with that. In my case, we oftentimes when we camp, you know, and hike, we do it outdoors, obviously. And outdoors are a lot of wild things that they would normally back in the day um, hunt chase and potentially eat so um you know that can can pose a challenge up until now it really hasn't Gretel's alert she loves to smell things and hunt but she also she can relax on a on a dime you know uh Summit is still really young she's still only two and a half Um, I'm still teaching her kind of self self self-control I don't think a hunting instinct something that I'm ever going to be able to totally overcome though I think you just really can't but but finding ways to manage that because she lost it yeah (laughs) yeah she was uncontrollable and there was nothing we could do and 
She was disrupting other campers and Uh-oh. wasn't going to sleep in the tent and all of the nightmare things I always hear about. Right. <laughs> so, but I'm already starting to figure it out. It's only happened three times so far and I'm already so another learning figuring experience. out what to yeah. do about it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. They're a puzzle for sure. You got to right. like observe and keep trying things and figure out what works because it's not the same for for you know for Each different dog. dogs that's not yeah. the same things so we often see how canacross can help reactive dogs find a safe outlet for exercise your second dogs and gretel had anxiety when you first adopted her due to a very rough past how has hiking helped her build her confidence part of me doesn't know how <laughs> i don't really understand like the mechanism or psychological you know behavior i guess but um first of all it you know, gave her an outlet to expend some, some physical energy. Uh So she could, you know, she didn't feel like pent up energy, stay a little calmer. Um, On the trail, you know, there's a lot of obstacles and things that, you know, she has to go over, she has to walk over and she's always really just taken them on. She's never been like timid and then had to watch her transform into a dog that was willing to cross logs and bridges, Mm -hmm. but I could still could see the more she did it, the more kind of at ease she became with herself. She's a totally different dog when we're out hiking than, than when we're at home. Now that she's older, she's kind of a little more even keel across the board, Mm -hmm. but when she was younger, it was a very extreme difference between when we were on the trail, she was, you know, stimulated mentally, smelling things, kind of using her instincts and, you know, doing things over and over that were challenging for her, mm-hmm. I think. Um, really, getting to be like a I dog. said, I don't know the mechanism, but I could see changes in her. Yeah. Yeah. I could see changes in her as we did more. That's awesome. Uh, if there was one thing you wish you could have known before you began hiking with your dogs, what would it be? Well, I've learned a couple lessons over the years. I can't think of exactly one thing I guess if I had to pick one thing and I'm still not great at it but is the importance of consistency Mm -hmm. because Chester did fine but I do feel a little bit bad he was more of the weekend warrior Uh (laughs) you know because I was because I was working you know full-time nine-to-five job and and stuff where um you know I'd walk him a couple times during the week and then we'd go out and do a five, six, seven mile hike on the weekend. And he did fine, but I feel like it wasn't responsible of me. Like I just didn't know at the time, but now I understand the importance of regular walks and regular, you know, regular exercises at home too. asking, you know, I I do have some dog gym equipment. I don't do as consistently as I should, but little balance bones and things like that, that could help teach them skills to use on the trail and help keep them strong when we can't get out and I and I think think I still today <laughs> wish that I would be better at that but in the beginning I didn't even know that was a thing so funny enough my next question was are there any conditioning exercises you do with your dogs <laughs> in addition to regular height you know I not consistently enough to make a difference <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think um but I do have some balance equipment we do occasionally I I oftentimes will um in the summer, you know, when we're in hiking season, pull it out and use the balance bone to teach sit or, you know, kind of incorporate into our regular dog training. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is just not being the weekend warrior. So every season when we start hiking, we kind of start from square one again, you know, they're, they can go out easily 
anytime and do it like a three mile hike. So we'll start with three or four mile hikes every summer, start doing those regularly. Cause during the winter we do them less, a lot less, you know, regularly right. and then kind of build up from there difficulty and distance and, and just, just keep going. So each year we do that and that's training. And I think that, that that's the kind of physical conditioning that's most important. I found your interview on pet waste removal really interesting. Cleaning up after our dogs is something we all face pretty much every time we're out on the trails. We find the pet waste stations and parks that supply pet waste removal bags, but there's much more to it than just scooping the poop. Can you educate us on the more environmentally safe way to remove waste and how it can infect the environment, affect the environment if not disposed of properly? Yeah, well, the a big misconception and it's only a misconception really because of circumstance, but the, the dog poop is natural and it can uh -huh. just be left because bears poop in the woods and deer poop in the woods and it's totally fine. But a dog's diet is completely different, which can, um, can influence the uh, bacteria and stuff that's in their waste. But the main thing is that, you know, on, on trails, they see, at least around where I live, the more popular trails can see hundreds of dogs in a weekend. Now, imagine if every one of those dogs pooped off the side of the trail and left it, you'd basically have a sewer running down the side of the trail. And and the environment can't keep up with that. You know, it can't keep up with treating that naturally. So um, it's important to remove it. Now, then it gets complicated. Uh there's a lot of nuances, but the best way is to pick it up and pack it out and throw it in the trash. That's the best way across the board that you're going to make sure it doesn't get into um, soil and groundwater or that people don't step in it or little kids, you know, right. accidentally pick up a mushroom and get it on their hands instead, right. <laughs> you know, and, and stuff. Um, I mean, I can go into a lot of details and, and geek out on it, but but that is the best way. If you are back, like, out for a long time, you know, several days, and you don't want to pack the poop out as, as long as the area you're in, most of them do allow the burying of human waste. You can also bury your, bury your dog's waste. So oftentimes what I'll do is I'll, I'll pick it up in a, bag you know if I'm camped at one place for a few days I'll dig like a cat hole and then I you know pick up the dog's poop in a bag when we're out for the day and then dump it in the hole um maybe it's it's more convenient though to just leave it in the bag you picked it up in and carry it out and, right as far as I'm concerned so you recently got back from some great adventures in Death Valley can you tell us a little about your trip yeah um you know it was it was cold <laughs> So yeah. we expected it to be a little bit warmer. I mean, we went in fall, so it wouldn't be 100 degrees or 120 degrees. Uh, we expected it to be a little closer to 60 or 70, and it was closer to 40 and 50. Mm -hmm. um, it just happened to get a cold snap that week, which put, really kind of put a damper on our on our hiking. And people might say hiking in a national park with a dog, because at least in the U.S., um, most national parks aren't very dog friendly. They're allowed right. on parking lots, in parking lots, along roads, campgrounds, but that's about it. But the cool thing about Death Valley is that it's, there's so many dirt roads out there mm -hmm. and dirt roads count as roads. So you can actually hike a lot with your dog in Death Valley. Um, there's a lot of Jeep roads that you, that I can't drive my car to, even though mm -hmm. I have four wheel drive and high clearance. There were a couple of roads we had to turn around on because they were just, I couldn't, I couldn't, it wasn't safe to drive my car up there, but 
we could get out if it was warmer we would have got out and actually just hiked the rest of the road up to the um there's a lot of abandoned mines there um yeah. old you know relics of gold rush days um oh. there's a couple abandoned vehicles which are a bit of a bummer um you know because you see them as like trash but they're actually cultural resources just as the mines they're the the similar age and they're old miners cars um so a couple of abandoned cars there's a lot of back roads there's a lot of canyons that you can walk up the roads on um titus canyon is the most popular canyon drive there mm -hmm. and you can actually drive up to the mouth of the canyon and in the summer when it's really busy it's probably not a great idea because it's not really wide but there are plenty of places to step aside to let cars go by um, and you can walk your dog up the canyon and the first couple miles of the canyon are the best part of the canyon anyway and uh -huh. it's only a, you can only drive it one way but you can walk it both ways so and you can do it with your dog and so that's really great um we drove it because we went all the way you have to go outside the park to then drive in but um there's a place called red pass which is um on the east side of titus canyon same road though and it's really beautiful and we wanted to see that so we actually didn't walk it with the dogs but we saw other people walking their dogs in the canyon that sounds amazing um so there's the usual emergency basics that we tend to take with us on hikes or runs like water first aid kit kits and extra lead or harness. I'm curious if there's anything that you tend to take on your hikes or camping that isn't necessarily a necessity, but something that you just really love and would recommend. Well, we always bring a collapsible water bowl yeah. <laughs> for, for them to drink. Um, Do you have a favorite? Kind of the, the things, uh, I, we use the Dexas ones. Uh -huh. I just like them because in all, like I keep using them very rarely. Do they, some of the cheaper collapsible silicone bowls, once you collapse them and pop them back up, you know, 50, 100 times, they stop working right yeah. and really collapsing all the way. I rarely have that problem with the Dexas ones. Um, you know, we don't take a lot fancy in the winter. I usually bring a, a blanket to like a rumple blanket or some other kind of outdoor synthetic blanket that um when we take breaks i can they can i can lay down and they can stand on in the snow and kind of cover themselves um i think two things that are extra important to me to mention though that aren't really like quote like enjoyable things mm -hmm. but but things that are necessary is a lot of people bring a first aid kit but what a lot of people don't think about is getting your carrying your dog out if something happens how are you right. going to do that now right. Technically, I could carry mine in my arms, but let me tell you, even a 10-pound dog after a couple miles is excruciating to carry. So right. they're small, though. So I have a small, like, kind of flimsy, packable backpack that I can wear on my front, and I've had to use it only once, but I always bring it, that I could put them in if I had to carry them out. But people with much bigger dogs are faced with more of a challenge you know some people will throw them over their shoulder and carry them but again that gets really hard yeah. they make some rescue slings now um but they're they're bigger and bulky a lot of them so carrying them and and even then they're just emergency i have a friend who had to use one to carry his 90 pound german shepherd out wow. and he said it was it was very very difficult to yeah. do um but I still think it's important to at least think ahead of what have a plan. What are you going to do if your dog's right. injured and can't 
can't hike out. The other thing is water. Even in the winter, it's important to be really hydrated. Absolutely. And a lot of people think, oh, I'll, my dogs will drink when they're thirsty. But um, I find that's that's not right the case, really. Because right. when dogs are, are stressed, whether that's good stress or bad stress, when they're just stress on their system, they tend not to drink and eat as much. Mm-hmm. And so they can tend to not drink enough. So I actually um, flavor the water. I bring water and flavor it with um, powdered bone broth or coconut water sometimes, like a yeah. couple, little bit of coconut water and stuff. So it entices them to drink it. I basically try and overhydrate them when we're out on the trail because I right. mean, they can pee to their hearts content to get right. rid of it, but right. I'd rather them have too much than not enough. Absolutely. Great tips. Uh, so through all of your adventure trips, what has been your most inspiring location to hike or camp? And what is one that you'd be okay never seeing again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, there's so many good ones. But I have to say, one of my favorite places to hike in the state of Washington is up near Mount Baker, mm-hmm. which is um, it's by a town called Bellingham, about an hour and a half. I say by, it's still an hour and a half away from there. Mm-hmm. But Bellingham is two hours or hour and a half north of Seattle. And it's very close to the Canadian border. But I just, that's my happy place. I love that place. It's gorgeous. Um, I could hike there the rest of my life and probably still be, be happy. Mm-hmm. is satisfied with just that um places that i'd never want to go again i really can't think of any well, that's good. but um i will say that yeah well i mean i see every place we go as amazing in its own way and a new adventure and i you know i there's places i've gone that i'm not used to so 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 it was a challenge for us hiking in Arizona we went a few years ago Mm because there are a lot of cactus Uh like there's these cactus I don't know what they're called but they basically make baby cactuses and then they eject them like onto the ground (laughs) and then they blow around and everywhere and and they're and they're I might learn the hard way like they're they have these really long spines or you know what do you call them you know cactus have spines mm-hmm. or whatever and they but the but they're hooked at the end just a little bit and so Gretel got one in her paw I was hiking with some friends and before they could stop me I mean my concern was to get it out of her paw was I grabbed it and yanked it out but uh-huh. it's a little bit difficult because it's actually got these little hooks in her foot and she was fine but what happens is then it sticks in your hand All right <laughs> so so then I had this cactus like sticking out of my hand. And so my friends who are from Arizona were like, don't, don't touch it. Don't touch it. And they came over with some pliers and yanked it out. And it was, it was fine. I guess the, the spines do have a little, some kind of toxin on the end. So mm-hmm. it, it like inflames where it's stuck in your hand, but yeah, so that wasn't really fun. <laughs> um, but it's just, I wasn't used to the area. I didn't know I would have been more prepared. Was I used to hiking, you know, was I right. used to hiking with, spiny cactus all All around and stuff um but it's definitely I would still go back in a heartbeat (laughs) that's good which that kind of leads us into my next question too (laughs) how do you find new locations to hike so you keep it interesting and what are your tips or resources to research the trail first to find out the do's and don'ts for dogs on those trails I take my dogs where I'm interested in going Mm -hmm. uh so I look for 
you know, I, Instagram's an inspiration for me. I mean, back when I used, I mean, I started my blog before there was even really Facebook right. was popular. It was a long time ago, but, but I mean, now I use social media as an inspiration to find cool places. Um, we have a really great resource in our state, uh, called um, Washington Trails Association and they've cataloged about every trail that we have and there's people can put trip reports and pictures in there and you can search it by map all trails is another one um, that I think does worldwide but um, I know for sure they're they're in the U.S. all across the U.S. whereas this other site's just for our state but both of those you can search by map and I've literally in my spare time sat in front of my computer and pulled up the map and just done a grid search across the whole state and yep. looked at every single trail that exists. And, and kind of, I do a combination every year. I do a few classic hikes that I love that I've done before, mm-hmm. but I always try every year to do a significant portion of new trails. And the other thing is I'll often um, try try and you it's not possible with every trail i mean of course the seasons make each trail different right um but i also try like there's some trails yesterday we went hiking east of here it's more of a trail network than than one single out and back trail and so each time i try and take a little bit little bit different route in the network so it's the same area we're seeing Mm -hmm. um but just changing it up a little bit by taking a different route. And you founded the Adventure Wiener Club in Seattle, and you're now in Western Washington, and in 2019 went national with the club. What inspired you to start this, and what activities do you do together as a group? I guess what inspired me to start it was two things. First, I just wanted to meet other, I'm a very social person. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm an extrovert, and I just really like meeting other people and talking about similar interests. And um, I just wanted to meet other docs and owners in my area. But more than that, I wanted, I originally started the club because I wanted to just take other people and their dachshunds on hikes, thinking that, um, that everyone wasn't hiking with their dachshund because they just didn't know how or they didn't know that dachshunds could hike. But then I, you know, of course, realized that not everybody likes hiking. <laughs> <laughs> some like different sports some don't like any sports they like to just do social events with their dachshunds and so um I still always try to keep the activities focused um our meetups focused around activities so even if it's just going to a dog park where our dogs can run around mm-hmm. um but it's the mission came became more became less like getting people to hike and walk long distances with their dachshund and stuff like that and more about just getting outside just getting fresh air getting active um so we do up until covid for nine years we had done a monthly three mile walk around a popular city park in seattle Uh and um occasionally in the summer like we do we do hikes and stuff like that too but shorter hikes and one time I did a series that was a um like kind of beginner hiking series where we started with easy hikes and worked our way up to a little bit more challenging and and I did take it uh national last year um I've always heard people say oh I wish there was a doc like a dachshund meetup in my area Mm -hmm. and 
Um, the challenge is, though, I live in one place. I live in Washington. So right. now it's a national club. How do I, in court, still sticking with my mission, encouraging people to get outside and be active with their dachshunds, how do I encourage that when I'm not physically present? Right. Um, so I have a lot of plans and ideas that may include an ambassador program where there's representatives that hold meetups around the country, um, potentially a, a tour where... Um, we go around and hold in-person meetups um, basically in every state, oh, but that's all going to have to wait indefinitely right. till we figure out what's happening <laughs> with COVID. And one final question. I'm sure you bring so much joy to your dog's lives with the way you include them in so many aspects of your life. We talk a lot about how Cana Cross benefits our dogs, but I also love to highlight how it benefits us to humans. How has being adventurous with your dogs changed your life? Um, being adventurous with my dogs is really, I mean, it led to me starting my blog, which then led to me being able to turn that into a business and leave kind of the nine to five corporate grind and um, hike more and travel more and just have more flexibility. Uh, you know, I, I always wanted to spend more time with my dogs and give them more quality attention and focus and to spend more time with things that other things in my life that really mattered, seeing new places, learning new things, spending time with my family. Um, and so really inheriting Chester and starting to hike with them or with him, you know, gosh, it was, it was almost 20 years ago now that I wow. in, inherited him or, um, and really just, my life is completely different and better than I imagined it could ever be now today, just because of that one thing started everything in motion. And um, yeah, I'm so grateful all the time. And I try and really, you know, my dogs are my focus. I try and, and use um, kind of the privilege I have of working from home and having flexibility and time to, uh, give back to them by making their life the best that I can. That's amazing. Well, I've enjoyed following you for quite a while now since we were in that group a while ago together. <laughs> um, but thank mm -hmm. you so much for being on the show today. And if you could tell our listeners where they can connect and follow your future adventures. Yeah. So um, most of our, uh, most of the content I write for my blog now is a lot of how-to and tips, and we always incorporate our own experience and general stories um, into those kind of like uh, educational pieces for people. But so if people are interested in learning more, they can visit my blog at youdidwhatwithyourweiner.com. I post kind of our, our trips and just daily life and activities on our Instagram and Facebook page. Both of those are, are really active. Instagram is, um, they're both same name as the blog, but Instagram is just at you did what with your wiener. And the Facebook page is you did what with your wiener.com. Um, so those, those are the best places to follow us and follow along and um, I can also be reached by email. My email is jessica at pettalkmedia.com. Over the years, I've loved connected with, um, connecting with fans, other dachshund owners, small dog owners, people just generally active hiking and camping with their dogs. I'm always happy to answer emails and help people out. So you can always reach me that way too. 
Awesome. I love it. Well, it's been great chatting with you today and we look forward to seeing what you're up to in the future. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. All right, trail runners. I hope you enjoyed our first guest interview as much as I did. Hopefully you found a lot of golden nuggets of inspiration and useful tips. If you have a small dog and weren't yet sure or comfortable about getting out and being active together, I hope this episode inspired you. We love to see dogs of all sizes out on the trails enjoying the sport of Canacross and the adventures don't end there. As you can see from Jessica, they make great hiking and camping partners too. And if you have a big dog and see smaller dogs out on the trails, I hope this helps you understand a little more about some of the stereotypes that are out there and how it's important for all dogs to receive adequate physical and mental stimulation. Before I let you go, I want to tell you about our two-for-one Canacross coaching sessions that are available now until November 30th. That's two 30-minute sessions for the price of one. Be sure to snag this awesome Black Friday deal before it ends. We can hop on Zoom and clear up any confusion and answer any questions you have about getting started in Canacross. Coaching prices go up January 1st, so don't miss out on this great opportunity to start your 2021 New Year off in a happy and healthy way. Just drop me an email at canacrossmadesimple at gmail.com and we'll get you set up. As always, thanks for listening and until we meet again next time, I'll catch you over inside our Facebook community. 